psalm for this morning, this summer. Going through some of the psalms. Not going to get to all 150 here this summer. The summer, sadly, is nearing an end. Might have time for a couple of more psalms, but Psalm 130 is the psalm for today. And the psalmist begins in the depths. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. You could say that he's in the depths of despair. You might go so far as to say that he feels like life isn't worth living. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe, hopefully not, but maybe you're feeling like that today. The psalmist cries out from the depths. But the psalmist ends the psalm in the heights. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. So he goes from the depths to the heights. So how does the psalmist go from the depths to the heights? Before we answer that question, we need to consider another question first. And that is, why was the psalmist in the depths? Well, let's look at the first two, ans- uh, two verses to get the answer to this question. He says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So the psalmist is feeling like he's in the depths. And the image here is the depths of the sea. So there's a huge distance between him down in the depths and God way up in heaven. And perhaps it seems like an insurmountable distance from him to the Lord. And what is the psalmist pleading for? Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for what? For mercy. He's pleading for mercy. And why does he need mercy? We plead for mercy when we're in trouble, when we're in need. Why does... The psalmist here in Psalm 130, why does he plead for mercy? Well, we find the answer in the next verse. Verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Uh, The NIV, the New International Version says, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins. So the psalmist is, is thinking about God meticulously recording all of his sins in a book. Every instance when he broke God's holy law. Imagine that there was a book like that for your sins and my sins. Every sinful action, every sinful word, every sinful thought recorded in that book, written in permanent ink, never to be erased. Now, what would be included in that book? Probably we would not like that book to be read, to be kept. Well, the question in verse 3 is really a rhetorical question. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, 
who could stand? The answer is no one. No one could stand. No one could escape divine judgment. If God kept a record, a book like that for each one of us. And so the psalmist in this psalm, he's in the depths of guilt. He's feeling the weight of his guilt. And maybe on top of that guilt is trouble caused by his own sin. And so he's in the depths. He's crying out to God out of the depths, pleading for mercy. The psalmist is is someone who doesn't downplay the seriousness of his own sin. You know, we tend to do that. You know, I'm not so bad. I'm pretty good in comparison to, you know, other people. But that's not the way that we're to approach God. We, We are to, like this psalmist here, we are to acknowledge our sin. Not attempt to downplay it. Not attempt to hide it, cover it up. And so the psalmist here, aware of his own sinfulness, aware of his acts of sin, he, he feels this, this weight. He's in the depths of guilt. And so how can we go from the depths to the heights? How does the psalmist do that? How does he go from the depths of guilt to the heights of hope? Well, verse 4 begins with, a small but very significant word, B-U-T, but. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Getting a little bit of feedback here, Jacob, from these monitors here. But with you, there is forgiveness. That's the key statement here. With you, Lord, there is Forgiveness. Notice, notice in verses 1, 3, 5, and 7 that, that God is addressed as the Lord. You know, I've said this on numerous occasions as we've gone through the Psalms that in the original Hebrew, the psalm was originally written in the Hebrew language, that the word Lord, when you see it in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all uppercase letters, that In the Hebrew, that is the name of God, the personal name of God, Yahweh. It's been translated or written before as Jehovah. Uh, Today, you know, it's more commonly referred to as Yahweh, God's name. And back in Exodus chapter 34, Moses, he asks the Lord to reveal to him his glory. And when God does that, verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34, God says, the Lord, the Lord. So he says his name twice. Again, in the Hebrew, that would be Yahweh, Yahweh. Then he describes himself, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Really, this is one of the the key 
verses of the Old Testament. You'll, you'll see those verses quoted over and over again in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. The psalmist will constantly talk about the steadfast love of the Lord, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace. With the Lord, with Yahweh, there is forgiveness, Psalm 130 says. That's who he is. He is a forgiving God. With him, there is forgiveness. So we can go from the depths of guilt to the heights of hope because forgiveness excites God. You might think that's a kind of a strange statement. And uh, theologians would call that an anthropomorphism where we're giving a, a human attribute to God, excitement. But scripture does that over and over again. And I think it's true. I believe it's true. I looked up the word excited in the dictionary. It means to be very enthusiastic and eager. And God is very enthusiastic about forgiveness, very eager to forgive. Judgment doesn't excite God. Forgiveness excites God. God is never reluctant to forgive. We can think of the story of, of the prodigal son that Jesus told. Uh, he told the story about uh, a son who who, who didn't want to wait until his father died to receive his inheritance. He demanded it right then, which really tells you that he cared more about his father's money than the father himself. And so he goes away to another land. He, he wastes all the money. Finally, he comes to his senses. He has a change of heart. Uh, he's sorry for what he's done, and he decides to return to his father. Uh, but he's willing just to be his father's servant. Now, how does the father, who really we're supposed to see as representing God in the story, how does the father uh, receive back his wayward son? Is he reluctant to forgive? Does he turn him away when he comes back home? No, he runs to, to meet his son. He, he forgives him. He even throws a party because he's so excited that his son, his lost son, has returned. And so we have a picture of God here, the picture of God's forgiveness, that with him there is forgiveness. He's not reluctant to forgive. He's excited, eager, enthusiastic about forgiveness. Uh, in uh, his commentary on the Psalms, James Montgomery Boyce gives four truths about God's forgiveness. Uh, first of all, God's forgiveness is inclusive. Uh, verse 4 doesn't say that there's forgiveness for, for this sin or that sin, but maybe not some other sins. No, there's forgiveness for, for all sin. There are no, no exceptions here uh, given. Now, someone might say, but you don't know what I've done. Well, God knows, and with him there is forgiveness, forgiveness of all sin. Second, God's forgiveness is for now. You know, notice the word is. There is forgiveness. That's present tense. That's talking about right now. There's forgiveness available for all sin at this very moment. Third, God's forgiveness is for those who want it. Again, the psalmist, he's not uh, covering up, trying to cover up his sin. He's being honest about it. He's confessing it. 
He wants forgiveness. And he'll receive that forgiveness because God will give us forgiveness if we ask for it, if we want it. And then fourth, God's forgiveness leads to godly living. Verse 4 ends in maybe to us an unexpected way. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Why doesn't say that you may be loved? This statement here in connection with forgiveness really helps us understand what, what fearing the Lord really means. You know, it doesn't refer to a bad kind of fear, like the fear of punishment, because if it did, how would forgiveness lead to fearing God? It would lessen our fear of God if that were what the psalmist was talking about when he uses the word fear. It's not the fear of punishment because forgiveness would lessen that kind of fear. It's, it's a different kind of fear. Scripture says more than once that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, beginning of wise living. That's what wisdom refers to in, in uh, Scripture. So the, the kind of wisdom that, or sorry, the kind of fear that, that uh, the psalmist is talking about here in Scripture talks about when it talks about fearing the Lord. It's a good kind of fear. It's, it's, it's really, you could say, reverence. God's forgiveness really increases our, our admiration of God, which should lead to obedience motivated by love for God. So there's, there's reverence, there's relationship involved, love. Uh, when we talk about fearing the Lord, not a bad kind of fear, but a good kind of fear, uh, fear a respect, a reverence, even a, a love for God, admiration for him. And so forgiveness leads to godly living. Now we go to the second part of the psalm. Really, there's a lot of waiting in Psalm 130. Already the psalmist has talked about waiting for, for God's response to his prayers. Now look at verses uh, 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. You know, why, why does... You know, you might think that's a typo in your, your Bible. Why is that line repeated? Well, this is poetry. I don't know exactly why it's repeated, but I would guess that it's repeated for emphasis, the thought of, of waiting. And in this psalm, to wait and to hope are synonymous. They mean the same thing. Enduring the present in anticipation of something good to come. So it's like a watchman waiting for the morning. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I've never done that, I don't think. Uh, certainly not, you know, on duty as a guard, uh, guarding a castle perhaps. Uh, I've never done that. I'm sure, though, it's a tedious job, a tiring job, uh, waiting all night for the morning to come. You know, waiting often isn't easy. But for the watchman, the morning always does come, eventually. It always comes right on schedule, actually. A certain time, the watchman's job is completed, and he can go home. 
but, but waiting for the Lord can be like the watchman waiting for the morning. Uh, the psalmist says in his word, I hope. Hoping involves waiting. Uh, God's word here refers to his, his covenant promises, thinking of the promises God made to the nation of Israel. The psalmist is hoping, he's waiting on these promises to be fulfilled. It's not easy, but the fulfillment of God's promises always comes. And then in the final two verses, the psalmist encourages Israel his nation, to hope in the Lord. So he's talked about how he himself is hoping in the Lord. Now he encourages others to hope in the Lord. O Israel, verse 7, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So there's, there's three similar statements about the Lord Yahweh uh, made in this psalm. With you there is forgiveness, with the Lord there is steadfast hope, with him is plentiful redemption. Again, talking about who God is, his character. The people of Israel could hope in the Lord because of who he is. A God of forgiveness, a God of steadfast love, a God of plentiful redemption. He also had shown his faithfulness by his actions, especially going back to that time when the nation was in Egypt as slaves. God redeemed them. He delivered them. He freed them from bondage. Uh, there's an interesting verse that goes well with what is said in, in Psalm 130 and the depths, crying out from the depths. Uh, Psalm, uh, sorry, Isaiah 51 verse 10 says, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over. And so God redeemed them in a very unlikely way. They went through the depths in a sense. The depths became their way of redemption. And so God had proven by his actions that he was a God who could be relied upon, that it was not foolish to hope in the Lord. Finally, the promise to redeem Israel from all his iniquities, as verse 8 says, that was fulfilled in Christ. The New Testament expands this promise to include all people. Matthew 1.21, Joseph is told by an angel in a dream. Uh, she, referring to Mary, will, bring, uh, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the fulfillment to this promise in Psalm 130, uh, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said to his disciples, this, referring to the cup, is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. With the Lord, there is forgiveness. And that was fulfilled ultimately in Christ coming into this world and dying on that cross for our sins. The cross shows us that without a doubt, with the Lord, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness required a tremendous sacrifice, the sacrifice of God's own son. But he did it anyway because that's who he is. He is 
a forgiving God. With him, there is forgiveness. With him, there is steadfast love. With him, there is plentiful redemption. That's the kind of God that he is. Not someone who is reluctant to forgive. Not someone who is eager to judge, but someone who is excited about forgiveness. And so that's how we can go from the depths of guilt to the heights of hope. So let me end with a couple of questions for you. First of all, have you received God's gift of forgiveness? Again, it's for all sin. It's for right now. It's for all who want it. Have you acknowledged your sin to God and received forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ? That's why he came. That we might have forgiveness with God. And finally, second question, if you're a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ, you've received God's forgiveness, is God's forgiveness motivating you to live in obedience to his word? Maybe it's that we need to be like God, not keeping a record of wrongs that we want to hold on to, but instead be a person who forgives. Or maybe there's some other area in life that we're, we're struggling with. Is God's forgiveness of us motivating us to live in obedience to his word? Really out of love, not obligation, but out of love for God, that he is a God of, of forgiveness, steadfast love, and plentiful redemption. A couple of questions for us to think about today. Have you received God's forgiveness in Christ? And is that forgiveness, if you've received it, is it motivating you to live in obedience to God's word?